0: hope I am audible in the zoom as well Um, I hope everyone can hear Um, thank you Philip for reading us the scripture portion Uh, I took Psalms 105 because it was a good summary of what we are going to do last Sunday we heard about how Joseph landed in Egypt and how he rescued his family from famine and uh, prior to that it was uh, Sujay who took the portion of Abraham and he explained us the Abrahamic covenant and he helped us understand there were three important uh, components to the covenant. There was land, there was seed and there was blessing. And as we now come to the book of Exodus, we come to know that, uh, you know, all these promises that God had given to Abraham one by one is now going to get accomplished. Okay. So, We ended the book of Genesis and we understood that the people of God are now safe in Egypt and they are being well protected. We also heard that how Joseph rose to power, uh, a place of significance and he had a great influence on the land and that's how we ended the book of Genesis but now we are going to start book of Exodus and this morning we'll be covering first 14 chapters of Exodus, uh, it's a lot of content, we won't be going verse by verse but we'll be on few of the things which will help us understand the book, book better. I'll just give you a summary of what the book of Exodus is going to be about. It's the story of God miraculous deliverance from Israel, of Israel from slavery in Egypt. You know it records Israelite journey from uh, Egypt to Sinai where God gives him gives the people uh, a covenant Mosaic covenant and they become a nation and from there they learn how to worship God and how to obey him you know this book talks about the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and how it was fulfilled when Lord rescued the Israelites the descendants of Abraham from the bondage in Egypt it also talks about the Passover festival and it also talks about the beginning of nation through the covenant that God made and it also talks about the law that we are going to hear next week from Tobin you know as we continue our journey we will uh, now look into some of the key things that we can learn from the first 14 chapters of Exodus and uh, you know first thing that we can learn is our God is a covenant-keeping God our God is a covenant-keeping God and this we learn from chapter 1 and 2 if you look at some of the portions uh, Genesis chapter 15 verse 13 it says then the Lord said to Abraham know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and they will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years and I will bring judgment on the nation and they will serve and afterwards they shall come out with great position if you remember in Genesis 15 verse 5 prior to that God gave another promise to Moses he said come out look at the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them and he said to them so shall be your descendants you know it's been almost 400 years uh, the time has passed from the ending of Genesis to the beginning of book of Exodus okay so we need to understand that okay the uh, the last sermon that we heard, the end of Genesis, chapter, uh, Genesis 50, now beginning of Exodus, almost 400 years have been passed. And the people of God has started expanding. Okay, uh, Initially, if you read Genesis last few chapters, we are made to understand there were only around 70 people who came to the land. When Joseph brought his family to Egypt, there were only around 70 people who moved in. And now when we look at the consensus, there are almost a 1 million and above people in Egypt. Okay? So the numbers have increased. Okay? From 70, they have gone all the way to more than, a lakh, uh, more than a million. That's a huge number that we are talking about. And before we come and understand this, uh, in order to make a nation, what are the, some of the things important? There are two things that are very critical for something to be called a nation. Number one, there needs to be a land and number two, there needs to be a people, right? You need land and you need people to call a group of people a nation, right? And right now they don't have a land. When they came to Egypt initially, they were only 70. So neither they were a group of people that could be called an entire nation. But now we see slowly the numbers have increased and it's almost a million what God promised to Abraham like can you count the stars can you count the stars that many will be your numbers you know and he also talks about the same thing uh, you know in other ways he says go to the seashore and see the sand that is there can you count this uh, sand on the seashore no it's numerous that will be the kind of descendants that you will have that will be the number of people that we are talking and right now that has come to plan you know, Israelites increase in number in Egypt is sign of God's presence and blessing. You know, with increase of Israelites in the land of Egypt, it was a clear sign of God's presence and blessing. It was, in other words, if we can say, it was the fulfillment of the promise of God that he gave to Abraham. You know, what really struck me when I was reading chapter 1 was, God remembers and keeps his promises. You know, God never forgets it's been 400 years or more than that when he gave to Abraham centuries have passed by but God remembers he never forgets you know God remembers his promises and his covenant that he gives to his people you know we can have this assurance this morning that our God never forgets our God never forgets he remembers Second thing that we can learn from the first two chapters is, our God is sovereign over all situation. Our God is sovereign over all situation. See, when you read the opening verses of Exodus, we come to know that there is a king, a pharaoh, who has not heard about the exploit of this man called Joseph. He has not heard about the reputation of Joseph. He has not heard about anything about these Hebrew people so when he looks now this time around to his land he sees this millions of hebrews who are there on his land and now he's scared he's worried because these are all foreigners in his land and if the number starts growing like this he's worried that these hebrews might conquer his own land so he comes with a population control plan you know what does he do number one he tries to kill all the hebrew boys that were uh, going to be born he decides let's kill all of them that might solve the problem but when then that does not work he subjects all the hebrew population to forced slavery he uh, you know oppressed them and pushed them down so much so that the egyptian can be on top and what was the role of uh you know it's in in the land they were making bricks they were doing construction work they were bonded laborers and they were not respected there things change In midst of all this we come to know about uh, you know a a child was born and his name is Moses we all know the story of how Moses was born and how the killings was going on of the babies and uh, you know how his parents put him in the basket and how he lands up in the palace well Moses was born as a Hebrew but he was raised as an Egyptian 40 years later we know, you know, he knows his background. He knows exactly where he belongs. He knows that he's a Hebrew. And one day he sees an Egyptian, a slave master, beating up, abusing a Hebrew guy. You know, and he gets very worked up. And he goes and he confronts this guy and then he retires. And in the midst of all this, he murders that Egyptian. Realizing that he has been found out, you know, he flees to Egypt. And runs to a place called Median and where he gets married and he's working for his father-in-law Jethro as a shepherd you know God prepares Moses for his ultimate purpose you know when we look at the story till now we feel that the life of Moses is very hard It's, it's it's something that we cannot explain when he was born the Pharaoh was, had decided to kill all the firstborn. Somehow he escaped. God pro, you know, protected him at that point in time. Then he is in the palace, then he kills an Egyptian. Again, now he's running. Where does he land? He lands in Median, which is more like a, a wilderness, a place that doesn't have too much of green or vegetation, and he is a shepherd. And that too, not his own sheep he's been uh, taking care of. He's taking care of the sheep of his father-in-law. You know, God in his sovereign plan allows Moses to live life in wilderness. And God in his sovereign will allows Moses to live life of a shepherd. You know, this is what Moses is going to do for the next 40 years. Do you realize that? This is exactly what Moses is going to do for the next 40 years. He's going to be in wilderness for 40 years and he's going to take care of the people like a shepherd for next 40 years and god is using all his difficult circumstances to mold him to make him ready for this big task that god is already decided for him god takes care you know god has a purpose for our life you know he's sovereign over all our situations you know god will ensure that he will accomplish his plan despite we failing to see it you know that's interesting right you know, God is sovereign. When we say sovereign, He knows absolutely everything and He's in absolute control of everything. And He will accomplish His plans despite man failing to see it. You know, many a times when we are faced with difficult circumstances, we often don't see why things are happening in our life. We cannot understand why this difficult situation has come into our life. We doubt, we don't see it. But God will carry on to fulfill His purpose through our life. Next thing that we are going to see, uh, that we can learn from Exodus chapter 3 is God is our personal God. Our God is a personal God. You know, most of the time when you hear different religion and when you see the different gods of the society, they call their deities as gods or goddesses. And this starts with a little g, okay? Okay. When you read a lot of books, you can find a little G. These are the uh, men called deities, God. Even God of the Bible have many names. Uh, Sometimes when we read the scripture, we come across the word shepherd. Sometimes we come across the word ancient of days. Sometimes we come across the word El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. Sometimes we come across the word master. Sometimes we come across the word wonderful counselor. The God who sees, the God who heals, you know, a lot of names of God in the Bible. But all these are more than just a title. All these are more than just a description. If you look closely, all these names in fact points to the nature of God, points to the character of God, points to his reputation, points to his heart. You know, all these names put together is one miniature portrait of who God really is. You know, you cannot define God with just these names. These are just small attributes. But if you put all together, it's this wonderful portrait that you can see, but it doesn't define who God is. But here, this is the, one of the most significant passages in Exodus. You know, what we are going to read next is very significant for us. In turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse two, 1 and 2. And Moses was pastoring his flock uh, of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Median and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the midst of a bush and he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire and yet the bush was not consumed. And then we later on, if you continue reading, he says that Moses turned aside and he saw this marvelous sight why this bush was not being burned up. And in verse 4 if you carry along the Lord saw that he had turned aside God called him Moses Moses and he said here I am you know this is the passage it's for us to keep an understanding this is the passage where God is starting his conversation with Moses and God is going to commission Moses for his work there's conversation that's going to initiate and then there's going to be a commission that's going to happen for Moses from verse 5 to 10 we read that God tells Moses Moses I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and I have seen the trouble the misery of my own people God hears the cries and the respond and and respond on the basis of the covenant with Abraham Isaac and Jacob you know our God is the one who sees our trouble our God is the one who sees his people You know, what a wonderful thing it is, right? He sees what goes on in his people's life and then he has compassion for each and every one of us. You know, our God is not blind. He sees what we do and what we go through. Our God sees. And that's what happened. Yahweh saw his people. He saw the misery of his people. He saw the suffering of his people in the land of Egypt. And he says, Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and I have seen this and I have something for you so God says to Moses Moses I am the God who keeps my promises to people I will bring them to safety and I'm a promise keeping God so Moses I have a task for you here's the plan you have to go as an ambassador to Egypt okay you have to go as an ambassador to Egypt and say to Pharaoh you need to let God's people go you know, Moses is, is, is commissioned to go as an ambassador to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, Moses has this encounter with God and he realizes now God is commissioning him for a task or for a big purpose. But he's not like Abraham. We learn from the story of Abraham. What happened? When God called Abraham, what did Abraham do? He walked. He walked. There was no question asked. But in case of Moses, it's not like that. He has a lot of concerns. He has a lot of doubts. And as we move ahead, we will come to know that he has two major concerns uh, that he puts forward in front of God. Slide working. All right, we'll carry on. The first concern that Moses put forward is over his own inadequacy. over his own inadequacy. He says, God, just hold on. What are you thinking? You really want me to go to Egypt? Don't you understand uh, what we went through? He just killed an Egyptian. You know, he had just killed an Egyptian. You know, if he goes back to Egypt, what is going to happen? He's going to be captured. He's going to be punished for the murder that he had committed. You know, he says to God, God, I just cannot go back there. Moreover, I have many more issues. I have stammering issues. I don't know how to talk properly. How can I take this message of yours to God, uh, to the people of God there? I have concerns over my own inadequacy. Second, Moses says, I have concern over God's identity read with me to verse 13 chapter 3 verse 13 and Moses said to God suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me and they ask me what is his name then what shall I tell them then what shall I tell them Lord what am I going to tell what is your name what is your name God interesting question right till now almost many centuries have passed by We have seen how many characters, we have seen Adam and Eve, we have seen Abraham, we have seen Isaac, we have seen uh, Jacob, we have seen Joseph. No one ever asked this question, what is your name God? Interesting and here Moses is asking God, what is your name? What should I tell them? Who called? Who is this? And God answers Moses in verse 14, turn with me to verse 14 and says, God said to Moses, I am who I am and this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. You know, like I said, no one knew this name before. This is of great significance. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, if you read, Lord spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Moses, uh, to Job, and as God Almighty. As El Shaddai but my name Yahweh I was not known to them you know no one knew him by this name I am does this name I am feel strange to you you know if I if I take you through you know a little bit about this I am you know what does it mean in Hebrew language it it consists of four consonants okay uh, it we read from right to left okay so it He vav He. that's the four consonant that's used and if you translate this to English it comes out as Y-H-W-H and we have over time pronounced this as Yahweh in Hebrew language when it was written they never had vowels in them it was only written in consonants okay so when Hebrew uh, person saw this name, Yod, He, Vav, He, Y, H, W, H, they didn't know exactly how to pronounce it. And they didn't want to misuse this name because they believed God was so sacred that no one should utter God's name. In fact, it was only the high priest once in, in a year on the day of atonement, when he goes to the Holy of Holies, he will utter this name Yahweh and then he will come back. And no one else was allowed. 100 years later, almost hundreds of years later, we see the Jews came up with this idea. You know, they took the Hebrew word for Lord from the Old Testament called Adonai and they picked up all the vowels from this word, A-O-A, they took it and they fixed it in middle of Y-H-W-H and the name became Yehovah. Are we familiar with this name, Yehovah? In some of the English Bible you will hear this as Jehovah you know it's coming from this the Jews picked up the name the Hebrew name for Lord Adonai they picked up the vowels and they fixed it in, in, in between YHWH and became Jehovah because they wanted to keep the name sacred they didn't want it to call Yahweh you know this I am comes with a lot of mystery what does this I am mean you know, when you see, uh, when you read the language, especially the Greek, Hebrew, German, Latin, you know, most fundamental verb forms is to be. The verb to be is the most fundamental verb forms that is available. When God says I am, you know, in, in when this to be is translated into English or into Hebrew language, it spells out Y-H-W-H again Yahweh you know so God is saying I am the fundamental I am the foundation I am the very reality by this name I am God says I am fundamental I am foundational I am reality but there are four big ideas that comes out this name Yahweh and we are going to look at that there are four main ideas that I want you to keep in mind because this is very important now going forward in the story of Exodus and further books The first idea that we come to know is our God is eternal. Our God is eternal. You know when Moses was raised in Egyptian culture, he came across different gods and goddesses of Egypt. You know in Egypt there were multiple gods and mostly they were animals. There were insects, there were uh, rats, beetle, birds, and these were the, you know, all the animals, they used to represent some sort of gods in Egypt. And uh, interestingly, a falcon was one of the sun god, it represented one of the sun god in Egypt. And when falcon died, they used to give him a national, uh, uh, you know, burial, a state funeral was given to this falcon. Have you seen those Egyptian mummies? Uh, you know, tied up with all band aid and then they buried. That's what they used to do to the falcon as well. See, Moses has seen all this when he's growing up. You know, one of the ideas that Moses might definitely have, you know, of the Egyptian God is they have a beginning, they have an end. They have a beginning, they have an end. They're born and then they die. That's what Egyptians were all about. But here God says, you know what? I am who I am, period. In Psalms 90 verse 2 it says before the mountains were born or you both for, brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting you are God it says about infinity and beyond a god is everlasting a god is eternal so when god says i am who i am one of the things that we need to keep in mind is a god is eternal god you know god is before all things and God is beyond all things our God does not succeed or precede any other gods he's from everlasting to everlasting hence how much more do we need to praise this God because our God is an everlasting God second thing that we learn about uh, God's name is he is self existing our God is self existing you know God doesn't proceed from anything or he's not produced by anything he doesn't have a beginning he doesn't have origin In Revelation 1 verse 8 he says, I am the Alpha and Omega says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In Psalms 102 verse 25 to 27 it says, of old you founded the earth and the heavens are the works of your hand. Even they will perish but you will endure and all of them will wear out like garment, like clothing you will change them and they will be changed but you are the same and your ears will not come to an end this means that God is center of everything this means that he is the fundamental foundation of everything a God does not change a God is self-existing he doesn't have a beginning he doesn't have an end a God is self-existing the third thing that we learn from this name Yahweh or I am who I am is God is self-sufficient God is self-sufficient you know humans as humans we need a lot of things to survive, right We need air, water, clothes, food, money. There's a lot of things that we are dependent on. Everything around us is dependent on anything except God. God is not dependent on anything. In Acts chapter 17 verse 24 and 25 it says, God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and the earth and he does not live in the temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Our God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. His existence is based on he is what he is. You're getting that? His existence is very much based on himself. He's not based on it's his his existence is not based on what we expect him to be. You know, his existence is not based on that. You know, I'm amazed when I when I read this portion. It helps me understand that God does not need any of us but he chooses us. You know what a wonderful thing this is. God doesn't need us, but he chooses us. You know, God in his amazing love and grace and mercy he comes to us and he says that I am your God. I am Yahweh. I don't need you, but I choose you. You know, this is just wonderful for me to understand that God chooses me. It's not that something that I have done is not something that i deserve but god chooses me out of his own grace and mercy our god is self-sufficient and finally the last thing that i want you to understand is our god is unchanging our god is unchanging i am that i am and will always be you know in 1960s and 70s there was this ideology in churches that was processing it was called the process theory you know, many of the scholars at this point in time said that God is not static, but He's dynamic. Well, uh, we all agree with that. God is not static, He's dynamic. But then they crossed the line. They went further and said, you know what, since God is dynamic, He changes. God changes with time because we don't live in the same culture as people lived 2000 years back. This we would have heard many a times when we talk to a lot of people, right? A lot of youngsters these days. God changes according to time, so you know we need to read the Bible according to the changing times and all that and process theology but God says what does God says in the Bible in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 it says I the Lord do not change even in the New Testament we read Jesus saying yesterday today forever I am the same I am the God of Isaac Abraham Isaac and Jacob I am the same God I do not change And what a wonderful encouragement is this for each and every one of us my dear brothers and sisters because our God is unchanging the promises that he made long time back also remains unchanged since our God doesn't change his promises doesn't change since his promises doesn't change even the truth that he has revealed to us doesn't change the Bible the Word of God that we have this morning with us you know this doesn't change this remains the same our God is an unchanging God his promises are unchanging he remembers everything and because of that even his truth is unchanging you know we will come and go our cultures our nations will come and go but the Word of God will stand the test of time because God is unchanging as we move along the story we then see God assuring Moses on the things to come God assuring Moses On the things to come you know when God sends someone to a mission field God also ensures that he's been assured of the things around him not on his uh, you know on his safety or anything but God assures of the thing that what he expects this person to do and that's what God is telling Moses turn with me to Exodus chapter 4 verse 21 Exodus chapter 4 verse 21 and Yahweh said to Moses when you go back to Egypt see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power but I will harden his heart and he will not let his people go then you say to Pharaoh thus says Yahweh Israel is my firstborn and I say to you let my son go that he may serve me but if you refuse to let him go behold I will kill your firstborn You know, 10 times in the Bible, when you read, uh, we understand that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when we read other scriptures, we also understand that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. You know, there's a lot of questions around who hardened Pharaoh's heart, was God or whether it was Pharaoh. You know, in this semester, we had this uh, course and we were doing this Hebrew exegesis of this particular passage. We had five different views on this and none of them was conclusive except one thing that this was an act of judgment on the people of Israel. This was act of judgment by God because of the sins of the land, and God brought judgment to them. God was merciful to the people of Israel, his own people. He brought in 10 plagues, many people died, many people died, but he restored his people, and there was a great judgment on the land of Egypt in Exodus chapter 5 verse 1 it reads afterwards Moses and Aaron went to the pharaoh and said thus says Yahweh the God of Israel let my people go so that they may hold uh, feast in the wilderness but pharaoh said who is Yahweh that i should obey his voice and let people go i do not know Yahweh and moreover i will not let my people go this is interesting egypt didn't had any shortage of gods egypt had multiple gods multiple deities a pantheon of gods was available and in all that pharaoh had never heard about this name Yahweh and he says i have never heard of this name i've never heard why should i let the people go who is this god and god makes two important statements here that we should keep in mind god makes two important statements you know first statement that he makes is He affirms his children that he will keep his covenant promises. He affirms his children that he will keep his covenant promises. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 6 verse 6. It says, therefore say to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptian and I will deliver you from the slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment on Egypt. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall call me Yahweh your God who has brought you out under the burdens of the Egyptian this is what Exodus is all about this is the story of God's faithfulness to the promises that he gave Abraham you know this is the story of uh, Exodus the essence of the covenants is right here the essence of covenant is right here he says that you will be my people and I will be your God. This is the essence of covenant. You know, if you, if you read through all the covenants, right from Abrahamic covenant to Mosaic and then we'll go to Davidic and then we'll go to the new covenant. The essence is this. God says, I am your God and you are my people. That's the crux of the essence of the covenant and God is making that right now. The second thing he says is, God says that I will declare my name. I will declare my name and I will declare my glory. You remember what did Pharaoh say? I don't know this name Yahweh. Turn with me to chapter 7. God says, I will harden the Pharaoh's heart. And although I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And I will lay my hand on the Egypt and bring my host people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Egyptian shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against it and I will bring out the people of Israel among them you know God was very clear in this ten plagues what was his idea God was very clear he wanted to ensure that the people of Israel uh, Egypt knows who God is he wanted to declare his greatness he wanted to declare his power he wanted to declare his glory and he wanted to declare who he is the Egyptian no one after this ten plagues could ever say I don't know this Yahweh no one could ever say God was very clear one he wanted to affirm his children he says that I will keep my covenant with you second he says I will show this Egyptian who I am they will know my name I am Yahweh you know this is followed by ten plagues Uh, we don't have time for going into dwelling into ten plagues altogether But there is something that I point out. In plague one, the Nile River turns to blood. In plague two, we see the frogs uh, infesting the entire land. In the plagues three, we see the gnats there. In plague four, we read about the flies infesting the land. But in plague five, something changes. Plague five, something changes because God makes a point from there that plagues are only for the Egyptian and they are not going to be visited on the people of Israel. From plague five, something changes, okay? Now the plagues, whatever, six, seven, eight, and nine, whatever we are going to read, it's only meant for the Egyptians and not for the people of Israel. And he's going to make distinction between the Egyptian and the people of Israel. He's going to make that clear distinction between both of them. You know, then he sends boils, then he even sends hail that kills the animals and the peoples, then he sends the locusts, and then there was three days of darkness, Uh, you know and we get through the nine plagues you know nine plagues are over God hardened Pharaoh's heart which led to plague one then Pharaoh did not listen that led to plague two and it went on in all this in ten plagues we understand that God was able to declare his glory God was able to declare who he is to the people of Egypt and in the midst of that he was also affirming the same to the people of Israel you know, his own people, he was affirming that I am God, I keep the covenant, I am the one who never forgets, you know, keep that in mind. And the, God's 10 plagues was just to declare, it was 10 opportunities for God to declare who he is to the people in the land. It was just an opportunity. You know, we see two things happening. One is judgment because of the sins that was there. Second, we see an opportunity for everyone to know that who is Yahweh. Then we see the redemption in the 10th plague. 10th plague talks about the redemption, redemption plan of God for people of Israel. That comes to the last thing, the 10th plague and the Passover lamb. In Exodus chapter 11, verse 4, we read, Thus says Yahweh, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who sits behind the handmill, all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout the land in Egypt, such there has never been or ever will be again. Then in verse 9, then Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you in order that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and did all the wonders before Pharaoh and Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people go out of his land you know chapter 12 is the story of Passover you know Passover was instituted to at the end of the plagues that God sent upon the Egypt you know and none of the plague touched the God's people as they were separated from the Egyptians Now, you know, the 10th plague that we are talking about, Israelites and Egyptians are drawn nearer as together to be involved in this final plague. If Israelites does not trust what God has told them to do, then even their firstborn is going to die. God gives them certain instruction. God told Israelites that you need to do something. If you don't do that, like the Egyptians, even your firstborns will be struck down you know so there was a condition that was laid a condition for redemption was laid but Israel must respond in faith Israel was to respond in faith you know God instructed Moses to go and tell that every household of the Israelite people must select an year old lamb without any defect without any blemish and they need to slaughter the lamb at the twilight and none of the bones of this Passover lamb should be broken and you need to take this blood and apply on the doorpost and on the lentils this was the thing that was given to instruction that was given to the people of Israel you need to do this and when you do this what's gonna happen when you do this God says, when the lamb of the blood on the door frame at the house when I see I will pass over the destroyer will pass over and he will not enter that home But any home that doesn't have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, their firstborn will be struck down that night. Their firstborn will be struck down that night. In Exodus 12, verse 12 and 13, we read that, For I will pass through the land of Egypt at that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You know, this was very clear. The instruction was laid. All they had to do is do the sacrifice, which allows the death to pass over them that will not come to their homes. Their firstborn will be saved. They will be rescued from this plague. You know, this story is very significant to us. Because when we look into this story of the entire Bible, we, are, uh, we come across this redemption plan of God and we are come across this, this phrase that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is the Passover lamb. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, uh, John, when John sees Jesus coming out of the lamb and he says, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and in Corinthians 5, 7, 1 Corinthians 5.7 Paul says cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are really unleavened for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed you know when John refers to Jesus as the Passover lamb the lamb that took away the sins of the world we need to understand what was happening in the Old Testament post the uh, laws that were given year on year year on year people will come with the sacrifice bulls, rams and goats and they will come and sacrifice. And every year they had to repeat this. And this became a process. You know, all the sacrifice that was laid there, it never took away the sin, but it only covered it for a period of time. But when Jesus arrived, everything changed. When Jesus arrived, everything changed. You know, just as the Passover lamb blood caused the destroyer to pass over the household, Jesus' blood causes God's judgment to pass over the sinners and give us eternal life. You know, it's very important for us to understand this. You know, none of the stories in the Bible is just for the sake of it. You know, the story of Exodus is for the sake of, for us to understand that it is to Christ. Like the Passover lamb that saved the, Egypt, uh, the people of God at the 10th plague and their firstborn were saved. We come to know that Jesus is that Passover lamb in the new covenant, who took away the sins of the world. My dear brothers and sisters, the sin is a very important aspect that we need to, we should not ignore. You know, sin, as we heard, marred the image in which God created us. And there was judgment that was pronounced on each and every one of us. And this morning our worship was so beautiful. We understood the impact of sin and what God Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us. He is the Passover lamb. He is the perfect unblemished lamb that was sacrificed for you and for me. He died on the cross and he took our sin. He took our shame and he rose again on the third day. You know, there was judgment, but there is also redemption. You know, we see judgment of God, but we also see love of God. You know, these are the two attributes you just cannot separate from God. You know, many a times when we share the gospel, we only say God is so loving. So you need to No, God is also a righteous God he's a just God you know both the attributes go hand in hand and in the Passover lamb we see this God's judgment and God's love coming together judgment wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ and he died on the cross and he rose again but love we see that he took that place instead of each and every one of us you know Bible says for the wages of sinners Death, And he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that no one, is, no one can escape this. Everyone who is born is born sinner. And your destiny is death. But Jesus is our Passover lamb. You know, it's a wonderful thing for us to remember this. It's, it's not just an incident that happened in the Old Testament. But it has long term implication. This Passover festival, they will now celebrate year on year to remember what God had done for them. But then it became a ritual. It became an yearly ritual of bringing sacrifice on the day of atonement for their sins, but it was done year on year. But we see ultimate sacrifice in our Lord Jesus Christ being accomplished on the cross for you and for me. We don't have to bring sacrifices anymore, my dear brothers and sisters. Our God has accomplished anything for us on the cross finally we come to chapter 14 that's crossing of the Red Sea that's crossing of the Red Sea if you hear the story after the 10 plague what happens 10 plagues a lot of people die. a lot of us born in Egypt and Pharaoh is very troubled because throughout the night he is hearing these cries and in his own household people died he's troubled and he's finally broken And he says, he calls um, Moses and Aaron and he says, you know what, take your people away. Take your people away and also take all the things that you need. And what does Israelite do? They plunder the land as it was prophesied. They plunder the land and they take everything and they start the journey. And they read somewhere close to Red Sea and then we realize Pharaoh is thinking, is sitting in his palace. and This is just not going to happen. I cannot let these people go. What does he do? He takes his army and he says, You know what? Let's go back. Let's bring these people back. And this is where this passage comes Exodus 14, verse 13. If you have a pen, you can underline this verse in your Bible. It's it's such a beautiful verse that highlights a lot of things in our life. And Moses said to his people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of Yahweh which he will work for you today for the Egyptian that you see today you shall never see again Yahweh will fight for you and you have to be silent you know it's such beautiful thing he says Yahweh will fight for you you don't have to do anything you just have to be silent can you can you imagine what's what the scene is you know, you see Pharaoh's army charging towards you, and there are a million of you know, people of God who is trembling because they, they feel that they will be trampled, they will be killed. And Moses says, You know what? Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of Yahweh. He will fight for you. All you have to do is keep quiet. Keep quiet. We know what happens next. Moses commands the Red Sea, God tells Moses to command the Red Sea and it splits into two parts. people of Israel go through the Red Sea they cross the Red Sea and by the time the army of Egypt there along with the Pharaoh that's coming God collapses the Red Sea and it kills the Egyptian army and the people of Israel see all this happening in front of their own eyes you know when we read the later portions in uh, the book of Exodus We'll come across, they forget this very soon. They forget all that has happened in Egypt very soon. You know, the sinful nature in us will always take us away from the Lord and what He has done. And that's what happened with the people of Israel. Right now, they have seen 10 plagues, 10 devastating plagues, a lot of deaths. They have seen the redemption in the Passover at the 10th plague. And now they have seen this red sea. Imagine, it's, 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 like, it's like a moon. Red sea divided into two parts. They're going and it's collapsing. They're seeing all this. And then when they go to the other side, in Moses uh, uh, writes in Exodus chapter five, in a beautiful song. And he says that, I will sing to the Lord for he is exalted. The horse and its riders he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song he has become my salvation he is my god and i will praise him and my father's god and i will exalt him you know this was the song that he sang when they crossed the red sea you know what a beautiful scene beautiful redemption plan of god that we you know see here but this is not the end of the story next week we'll learn about the commandments that was given to them the laws that was given to them then we immediately see they disobeyed they forgot everything that the Lord has done again again God was patient with them God works in them God remembers the covenant and he takes care of them you know this morning we learned a lot of things first thing that we learned is our God is a covenant-keeping God second thing that we learn is our God is sovereign over all our situation you know we may see only difficult circumstances but God has an ultimate purpose for our lives And God is a personal God. You know, we don't call God with common name. You know, He has revealed His name to us. His name is Yahweh. Don't forget this. His name is Yahweh. Next time when you see Bible, in short caps, Lord written, that's Yahweh. And it appears 6,800 times in the Bible, the name Yahweh. It's amazing. God has revealed His name to us. And that means something. That means that He is eternal. I am who I am. This God is eternal. This God is self-existing. This God is self-sufficient. It's amazing, right? That He doesn't need us. He chooses us. Our God chooses us. He doesn't need us. And He is unchanging. And God provides assurance to the people who calls, uh, to whom He calls for His work and God also institutes the Passover festival. Our God is a Passover lamb, Jesus is the Passover lamb and that's a key thing that we need to take away this morning. We always have the sinful nature, but it was only through God's amazing grace and mercy and love we have been forgiven, we have been chosen into his kingdom. And because He is the Passover lamb, like Moses told the people of Israel, stand firm, and see the salvation of Yahweh stand firm and see the salvation of Yahweh you know let us all when we walk into our lives from this day onwards let us remember stand firm stand firm in all his promises all his commandments that he has given us and remember he is Yahweh let's pray our gracious heavenly father lord we want to thank you lord for this time Thank you Lord for this beautiful worship uh, uh, time of remembrance that you gave us this morning. Thank you Lord for all the brothers who shared uh, such beautiful thoughts that pointed our attention to who you are and what you have done for us. Especially pointing us back to the cross where we were reminded that you were the judge and you pronounced judgment, yet it was the judgment on your own son. Father, all the wrath was poured out on him and and he took that on the cross. Like a Passover lamb, a blameless, sinless lamb was sacrificed for each and every one of us. Lord, we remember that. But we also rejoice in his rising up, Lord Father. He rose again on the third day and what? blessed assurance that we have that our God is not a dead God our God not like the gods of Egypt or any of the land who has a beginning or who has an end who has a birth and who has a death but father our God is an unchanging God our God is from everlasting to everlasting and this remembrance uh, this reminder that you gave us from the book of Exodus is such amazing thank you Lord for being a personal God thank you Lord for sharing your name with us which means so much more I am who I am Lord you are Everlasting, you are self existent, you are self sufficient, Lord. You are unchanging, God. Lord, you do not change. Since you do not change, Lord Father, your promises do not change. Since your promises do not change, Father, your word does not change. The world will come and go, Lord Father, but your word and you will stay forever. Father, we worship a living God and we acknowledge that, Father, and we want to give you all glory, Lord. As we live our life in this coming week, Lord Father, as we ponder on this sermon. Uh, in each of the cell groups lord father we pray that help us to have fruitful discussion so that we may dwell into each of the aspects and we may understand your redemption plan right from the beginning of creation till the end of time lord father we want to give your glory and honor we ask this in jesus name amen